are At The Net. And welcome, friends, to another episode of the At The Net podcast, powered by Textmix Productions. Working the soundboards in the back of the house are our producers, Dima and David Bray. It's time to say hello to your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, as they're about to take us through three sets of texts, talking life, and all the news as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell. Thank you, Matt, for the podcast. He's always good. He's always good. Uh, and welcome, fans of the great game. You're listening to season one, episode 49 of At the Net Podcast with AJ Tabry. That's you, What's right? up? AJC? Yes, sir. And that's me, CB1, the sheriff tonight, right? Am you I... are the sharif. A sheriff? Sometimes you're the chief. Oh, okay. And today you're the sheriff. Sheriff tonight. Love All it, man. Right. We were talking the great game of tennis and pickleball. And pickleball, pickleball as, as they it... seem to us. That's right. The thing is, pickleballs don't have the seams like baseballs and tennis ones. They have the little holes. They have the holes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're talking everything tonight. Because yeah. We're we do... talking the whole right. truth. Right. Yeah. And, and nothing but the, the tooth. There right? we go. Right. But we're talking uh, nets. Nets. Mm-hmm. These are not it's paddles. At the net. It's yeah. at the net. Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks also go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Production. That'd be one Darian D. Mac McGrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from back of the house who are on the soundboards. Moving the dials and buttons to make it sound like real people. We're real tonight. We're right? real people. And boy, so is our guest. We've already had some fun with him. Yep. Yeah. Should be, should be an interesting night. Also, be sure to check out our good work. On Fireside, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know we're on Google Podcasts. You know it. Google, That's Google. new. That's new to me. Say that about three times. Google, Google, Google. Google. <laughs> All right there. Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast. Radio Public and Spotify, that's basically all the communication sites you kids find popular. We're, we're out there, aren't we? We're out there. Somehow we get picked up by a new entity every month, and I don't know if there's any end to that. Let's let's keep rolling, man. It's wow. fun. That's right. We'll, we'll just go be out there in infant, infinitum. Infant, <laughs> yeah. We're just out there in the black hole right there. And if you're female, sorry, guys, would like to read the opening intro and be like Margot Carter and uh, be an Athenet podcast girl. We'd like that, wouldn't we? We'd love it. Even if you do it in a foreign voice, we we like foreign voices too, right? Foreign accent, even in a foreign language, as you've said in the past. That's yeah, right. That's cool, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Margot has yeah. A, a very distinctive uh, English, British, Southern England. Yeah, kind of the posh uh, Queen's English. Right. Brings yeah. us brings us a little uh, uh, more tradition and honor and uh, to the podcast because we're a bunch of you know, bunch of Americans. Yeah. Right. Well, tonight we have Ken Herman. Ken Herman. He's he's on the other line. Hey, Kenny, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me tonight. Welcome, oh Ken. Oh, Welcome. No, it's our honor to have you here. We're, yes. we're uh, excited to have you and talk uh, both worlds, actually, of tennis a little bit, and we'll go into pickleball also, too. Uh, we've uh, got a fascinating topic to uh, get through here in about uh, five hours' time, right? You got about five hours tonight? <laughs> Your show has always run long. I brought a, I brought a Diet Coke here to make sure I'm all ready to go. To well that. deserved, Ken. How about, how about some no-dose and five-hour energy? Did you take any of that? And, and, and some jigsaw on top of it. Yeah, there so, you there go. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we're glad to have Ken Herman, who's done a, a bunch of different things in a short period of time. You know, right. Ken's been in the tennis world, now he's in the pickleball world. But I met Ken back in the late 80s in San Antonio, Texas. Do you know where that is? Have you ever heard of that place? It's almost directly south of here, yeah. Yeah, just yeah, a little beautiful bit. Beautiful town. A few hours there. A little touristy, a little hot and humid. Right, river but, walk. But beautiful, yeah. yeah. Alamo City. Yeah, I love uh, it. A little Tex-Mex down there, probably a little salsa, and, you know, you know, might be a beverage or two down there. Yeah. Right? 
They understand. They understand their good Mexican beers down there. Yeah, Ken and I ran into each other. I was at Oak Hills Country Club. Yep. Ken was at Northern Hills Country Club and and landed that job. You were what twenty three? You were barely out of diapers. You were directing traffic out at Northern Hills, right? Yeah, that was that was quite an honor to be uh, the director of tennis at such a young age. I had just gotten done with my college career and. Uh, uh, it, it just kind of opened up. It was really an amazing, an amazing country club. There were uh, 20 outdoor courts there, and it really was the largest club in all of uh, in all of the San Antonio area. And uh, you know, <laughs> I really didn't think I was going to get the job. Uh, I had been working there as the assistant pro, and then things just kind of opened up and and uh, and got the director job. So it was quite. It was a very humbling experience, and, and quite honored to have that at such a young age. No doubt about that. No, you did. You did a great job, and it was a nice club. And uh, I, you did. You know, it led you on to some other things. You you were uh, had a stop in Charlotte, North Carolina, director at Old Providence Racquet Club, one of the largest clubs in the South. You also did some USTA player development uh, along the way with. Uh, Bob McKinley, Bob Graman in San Antonio, uh, also yep. down at the Polo Club in Boca, Boca down at uh, uh, Polo Club in Boca Raton, uh, worked under Jean Mills, and yep. uh, you know that was I'm sure that was a, a great area. Another training center. Also worked with Nick Saviano. Oh, big Gosh, name, yeah. Lynn Raleigh, man. I mean, Ken's done everything there is to do, and then he got you know decided oh, I've had enough of that and I'll just move back to Chicago buy a tennis club start the Ken Herman Tennis Academy and you know what I'll, I'll pass on that now and then uh, get into the world of pickleball <laughs> holy smokes I mean now you've got the uh, Association of Pickleball Professionals tour that we're going to talk about also too but, I got to uh, tell you I love the APP logo uh, not just because I did like a couple songs by Naughty by Nature in the uh in the 90s. Uh, that's not the only reason. It also kind of the T-O-U-R looks a bit like ATP World Tour. It does. I mean, it really does. I mean, it, you've, I love you've, the blue. Right. I know. It really looks really nice. You've done a great job uh, it, with Thank the, you. the APP Tour. But let's, let's start off just real quick. Before both worlds collide, both nets, uh, whether it's the tennis net or the pickleball net, let, let's, let's go with uh, the great game first uh, yeah. of tennis. Kind of get your background and what goes on and, and set you up for where you are today because it's a fascinating story. I guess that uh, – tell us how you got involved in the great game first off, Ken. Like many other people, started playing tennis back when the – when the boom kind of hit in the late 70s, early uh -huh. 70s, and parents got me involved in the sport. They dragged me out to the courts, local tennis clubs, started hitting balls, and then, you know, just got playing tournaments, uh, came up, grew up playing junior tennis here throughout the Midwest. We had some pretty good players at the time. A, a young lady named Andrea Yeager was Yeah, her, her dad, Roland uh, Yeager, is a big figure in tennis up there in the Midwest, right? Yeah, well, Mr. Yeager, but before he passed, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a big inspiration. We had another lady that I worked with later on with the U.S. Uh, TA Player Development Program. Beverly Bose was here, and Beverly and Andrea would go after each other in the twelves, and you know, Andrea start moonballing, and Beverly would start bashing balls, and that was always a battle with those two out there. And you know, always got to have good drill sessions with all them. But you know, just was fortunate. It, you know, strong Midwestern player, low nationally ranked junior player. I uh -huh. certainly can't sit there and say that I won Kalamazoo as a junior. I was just lucky to get to the doggone tournament. Yeah. And, and then played my college tennis at Texas San Antonio and had a, a great relationship there and some great friends. You know, the, the biggest experience I had with leaving Chicago in the Midwest and going down to Texas was just, you know, all of a sudden I was labeled the Yankee and everything was the Yankee down there. So it was a completely different <laughs> world for me, especially moving down there and right. then getting to meet everybody. 
Did, did, did you start out in Helena, Montana, of all places? No, I was born in Helena, Montana, but right. I, don't, I don't really quite remember that, but you did a lot of good research on me there. That's yes. Sure. Hey, we, have, we, have a, we have a crackpot first-rate R&D department. That would, be, that would be CB1, and I, I, I love geography, too, so I'm kind of in there, but I always like it when a lot of us say Helena, right. but then locals say Helena. Helena. Right. Helena. Yeah. And then like Oregon, in the East Coast, they say Oregon, yes. but in Oregon, they say Oregon. Right. Uh, or in the West in general. Well, they say Boise. 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 Instead of Boise. Boise. Right. Right. We say Boise. And, and these guys, you're in Chicago, right? Do you, do you say I Illinois am. or Illinois? I'm sorry, what? Uh, how do you pronounce the state that Chicago is in? Well, I pronounce it without saying the S, Illinois, but yeah. a lot of people will come in and pronounce it Illinois. I knew it. Right. I mean, I've been up there. I'm like, really? Wow. Do you say potato? <laughs> I say potato. Okay. I say tomato. Uh, no. I've, I've, said it, I've said it different ways with all the different states that I've lived in over the years. I, kind of, I catch the slang of the local state right. vibe, no doubt about that. Good, good. But, but so you, you were born in Montana, yeah. then, then moved, I guess, shortly thereafter, a few years in, in the Montana area, then moved over to... Uh, the Chicago area, and that's where you ran to the Jaegers and Beverly Bows and all those kind of people, right? That whole group, and then you know we we had some awfully strong other talented players coming through. We had a, a terrific young man, a, a friend of mine, Robbie Weiss, came through the system. Aaron Crickstein came up yep. here the Midwest and, uh, from uh, Michigan. From Gross Point, Michigan, yep. and then we had big bad Luke Jensen here. So we were all out there banging away, trying our best to kind of beat up on one another. That is wow. great. Yeah, Luke and younger brother Murphy. I got Mercy. Murphy's about your age, right? I know Luke's my age. Okay. I'm old. Murphy, Murphy's about three or four years younger than myself. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So that that was quite quite a quite a group. Did you all were you all at Midtown? Where'd you all uh, hit the ball at? Mostly? You know, growing up in juniors, there was a local club here in Libertyville that I played at often. And then, as far as the training goes, we would do clinics over at another facility in Deerfield, and you know. Wherever the groups were at was where you know the better juniors kind of kind of went off to. Right. Um, the Jaegers then, when Andrea went pro full time, you know at 14, 15 years old, she left here, and Mr. Hoppin or Mr. Uh, Jaeger and the family moved down to Florida. So it was always a treat to try to spend a couple of weeks. They settled they settled up down at Saddlebrook down at Hopman's down there, mm-hmm. Hopman's Academy. So it was always a nice treat to take trips and go down there and and get to. You know, get on court with Mr. Hoppin, Mr. Hoppin, who was just a legend within himself, and then you know, Mr. Yeager still would run everybody around the lakes down there like he did up here. So, all great memories, that's for sure. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Then, uh, after uh, playing junior tennis, you moved on to college tennis. Did you play? Uh, did you stay around Northwestern, uh, University of Chicago, Illinois, Illinois? Oh no! I went. We got recruited down to Texas, down in San Antonio, and played my college years down there. And UTSA. UTSA. There, yeah. Yeah. From there, was able then to migrate into taking over the director role at uh, Northern, Northern Hills Country Club. Yeah. That that who who recruited you to go to UTSA? That would be the Roadrunners. Roadrunners. I remember them. Yeah. <laughs> Blue and orange. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was recruited by the coach, and you know the rest is history. So did you think about staying up in Chicago though? I mean, or did you go? You know, I'm tired of those winters up there, and I want to get out of get out of think, Chicago. Yeah, I think it was definitely time to get out of the Midwest and down to the cold. So I was very much so looking forward to getting down into the the South and uh, had three or four different schools that were in contention that I was hoping to get recruited for and play at, and it was a great opportunity to go there, no doubt. Yeah, when we ran into uh, San Antonio, I'd never been in heat like that. I mean, I, I thought it was hot 
you know, around in Oklahoma City, but that's 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 a different, that's a major league heat. That's a new level down there. Oh, it, it, it's a new level, and I think the thing that I probably missed the most having come from the Midwest was just that change of seasons. We didn't really have a change of seasons anymore down there. Um, it just went from hot, and all of a sudden the cold front would come in, and the grass turned brown, and you didn't really have that big change of seasons. But I mean, I, I certainly remember there being 20, 25, 30 days of record 100 degree heat that just kept tallying on every day from thereafter. You know, it was always surprising to me that there weren't any, any indoor courts. It's just that one place, Thousand Oaks, that had indoor courts. And it really, it kind of languished around. But otherwise, you're, yeah. you're right. Or else you drive up to New Braunfels and try to hit yeah. on those partially covered courts up at Nukes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was always surprised. I mean, I, I hightailed it back after a year and a half. I was. I was like, man, I got to get out of here. I mean, I was, it was awful. It was three or four changes of clothes a day. And I mean, it was nice. I like those yeah. girls and I liked all my friends down there in San Antonio. I miss San Antonio. I'm not saying that. It was just the experience of the heat. That was, I think that was some record heat and humidity. I noticed that the APP tour did not make a stop in San Antonio uh, in the summertime. Uh, no, we're not there, but they just opened up a chicken pickle. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, they pickle, did? The it- tremendous facility and they've got a thriving pickleball. Uh, membership going on down there so that could be definitely on the radar for yeah. in the next couple of years right maybe like maybe it. more in the fall or the winter time right I, I would think so it would be a, it would be a hot one for the summertime although last year for the chicago open uh you know we were spiking about 98 to 102 degrees for chicago last mm. year so mm. we had a, a warm from come in for two for that one but it, it it was challenging for the players no doubt right so so you you Moved down to San Antonio for a few years, hung your hat down there. Then you then you started, uh, you know, really kind of getting getting your skill set going. You went over to Old Providence Racquet Club and directed traffic there for a number of years. Is that correct? You know, that's right. And it was it was a hard decision to leave. I, you know, one of the things about the club at Northern Hills was that we ran the only girls national only the only national tournament at the time was out there. It was a a girls 18s interscholastics tournament uh-huh. where we were attracting some of the best girls. So I, that was not only a big deal to get involved with having to run the club and the staff that was there, but then also taking on a national tournament on top of that and trying to, you know, be all the ins and outs of running that event for the week. But um, I got a call from a, from a friend of mine that lived in that Charlotte, North Carolina area. And they had told me that the director job at Old Providence Racquet Club had opened up. You know, that club's got so much history back in the, you know, 19, early 1970s when uh, when Margaret Court had just won the Grand Slam, they took a, a four-player exhibition and they invited a young gal down from Fort Lauderdale named Chris Everett to come uh-huh. out there. And they put, they put her on the stadium court two weeks after Margaret had won the U.S. Open. And Chris went out there at 15 years old and beat her in two tiebreaker sets. So that yeah. really is... You know, one of her most memorable matches, as I've, uh, you know, read in interviews and have discussed with her about that. But that was a great match for her, and she's always got a warm place for that club out there. Um, but that was just a thrill. Again, uh, heading up, packing up the bags, hanging out to Charlotte North, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was really excited to continue the relationship with the USTA. They were um, they were putting in more area training centers at the time, and a terrific guy. Uh, by by the name of Bill Ozaki is still hanging up the Southern Player Development Program down there, and uh, Charlotte was just a, a wonderful community. And you know, Old Providence with its forty some odd dedicated courts was certainly a a five star club and one of the premier ones in the whole Southeast. Definitely. Yeah. So you, you've got a lot of tournament experience, which is going to lead you into the pickleball world. I'm interested to talk about that here in a, in a couple of minutes, but I'd still like to talk a little bit about about tennis because you've had it. Like I said, then you decided to move south down to the to the polo club, right? 
you know, that, that, that all just happened so quickly. After spending about, I think it was about four, maybe five years in Charlotte with the club, um, what happened is that I actually was I actually had a long conversation with Stan Smith in Greensboro, North Carolina, of all places. And I, I reached out to Stan. And I was kind of making my name as a high-performance coach. Uh-huh. Had mm-hmm. some great juniors that were coming along. Started working with some college players and some rookie pros on the pro tour and i had a conversation with stan about you know if i you know what would what would i need to do in order to be considered to get on the coaching staff for player development at that time the offices were located down in key biscayne florida right and stan said ken you know you do a terrific job you're one of the you know the better coaches up here in the southern area but you know we've got top talent down there in south florida south florida is where it's all at so you know if you can get yourself into south florida maybe we'll see if we can you know bring you in for some camps and and have that conversation so within almost about two or three weeks later i had met gene mills at a usta tournament directors workshop uh they used to always invite uh, tournament directors in that would run national tournaments and at that time in charlotte i had inherited the boys and girls 14s intersectionals which itself was a monster. We had all 17 sections of the USTA present from the Caribbean to Hawaii. Right, Puerto Rico, uh, everywhere. I'm sorry, what? Oh, sorry, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Alaska, everywhere. The all 17 sections sent a team of anywhere from seven to 10 kids. So normally when you run a big 128 player tournament after the second or third day, you know, half of the draw is gone. They're home. They, you know, you wish them best of luck and thanks for coming. These players were here for the entire week. So oh you did an extensive round robin with each section going up against another section. And that was my first uh, involvement with some players that I would coach later on, uh, Mike Russell and then uh, Mike and Bob Ryan. Mike mm-hmm. and Bob Ryan were on the team out in California, and Mike was certainly heading the Midwest team. And those guys actually duped it out in the 14 and under division out there at, uh, at our club. But that was a, a wonderful experience. Anyway, to make a long story short, I had met Jean Mills through different medias because she at that time was running the 12s Challenge Cup. Uh, at Polo Club, which, for those of you that don't know, is probably the premier club in Florida, if not in the entire United States. Um, it's the home of Chris Everett, the home of Steffi Graf. It's you know, home of the Virginia Slims of uh, Boca Raton when that tournament was held there. So a lot of history at that club. And in conversations with Gene, she was looking for a new head pro to come on board. And and I just thought that would be a wonderful opportunity not only to, to work with somebody as, as uh, distinguished as Gene Mills, but uh, to get the experience of working at a, a, such a powerful club like that, and if the phone was to happen to ring, then I got a call to maybe work with some development camps down in Key Biscayne, which is about an hour south of Boca. Yep. Um, that would have been a wonderful opportunity. So, and just getting involved with Florida tennis, I mean, Florida tennis is a, is a mecca within itself. I mean, you've got USTA tennis and Florida tennis is certainly the, the big grub hub of it all. Um, getting involved with different committees down there, working with other top pros in the area. Uh, started working with, again, some, some talented juniors. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, one day I got the call from Nick Saviano to come on in, and they were looking to hire a coach to help with the boys' national team in 1995. Um, and, you know, that was a sad day to resign at Polo, especially with the sincerity that I've always will hold for Gene Mills. Um, but this was just a unique opportunity, you know, back in the day, you know, there were probably at that point in time, maybe only 20 or 25 coaches that were able to work that player development program or be asked to be a part of that. So that really was an honor 
And uh, I kind of felt like I was a kid in the candy store, you know, just being in that atmosphere and being around so many talented individuals that have made such an impact on the game. Yeah, you've been around some of the greats, the true greats. I mean, you actually got firsthand experience with them, and that's that, that's really an interesting career path. You know, that all happened in less than, what, six or seven years, maybe eight years it looks like, maybe when all yeah, this took place? It, it really it, it did, and it did happen quickly. And um, I'm proud to say that you know, I've never been let go from a job. It's always been able to move from one on to the next. And I think the whole goal that I've always tried to do, Craig and AJ, is just trying to surround myself around quality people right. and just try to build that foundation. That I've never liked my name on top of the door. I've always been happy to be a part of the team and, and grow the team. Um, but that's been thrilling for me. But there's no doubt my, my first boardroom experience with the coaching staff down in Key Biscayne, I went to my left. Jose Higueras was next to me who had just coached Courier on yeah. way in the French. I looked to my right, you know, Davis Cup captain Tom Gorman's there. I got Lynn Raleigh. I got Nick Savia. I got Rodney Harmon, you know, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. And, you know, it, you're thinking, wow, this is just great to be in this room. And I learned quickly to keep my mouth shut and just, you know, listen and learn as much as I could because, you know, I certainly took all the words that they shared with me as gold and, and kept them in my memory cells. Yeah, there, Sounds like you did all the learning and, uh, and took it to a new level, too. Well done. Yeah. And there's little Kenny Herman from – Helena, Helena, Montana, <laughs> in the room. You know, did you sit well, there and that, go? Did you pinch yourself and go, "What, what am I doing here? You know, wh- how did I get here?" <laughs> well, you know, we we started off having a lot of development camps, and you know, one of the things that we had back during those Kiba skiing years is, you know, again, Lynn was running the women's program, Nick was running the men's program. You know, right now, twenty five years later. If Lynn and Nick had had that unbelievable facility in, or, in, in Orlando right wow. now with, you know, the millions of courts mm. they've gotten, the millions of dollars that have gone into that program, I, I could have only imagined the wonders that they would have done along with Ron Woods, who was our director of player development at the time. Um, we really did have a shoestring budget. When you look at the coaching staff my first year down there, um, you know, Nick was, of course, I, 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 was, I was hired to work on the men's side. And Nick, of course, was heading the entire program, but he really had Ronnie Harmon in charge of the men's national team. And that year, our, you know, we had some talented young players. Um, we had Justin Gimmelstab on the team. Jan Michael was on the team. Uh, Michael Russell was on the team. Uh, of course, the, the Bryan brothers were on the team, both Bob and Mike. Uh, and a very talented player from the East Coast, a boy named Alex Kim, who I always kind of thought really was an incredibly talented player. He went on to college and won the NCAAs. Uh, out there as a singles player but you know we packed our bags and we were on the road we were traveling with these you know select group of american players on the national team Mm -hmm. i mean it was a 24 7 job i mean we were out there taking them you know to events over in europe getting them ready on the red clay heading on through to paris and then you know we we did not come back home we stayed over there and went right to england uh, you know, did two or three warm-up tournaments to get to you know to get our American players on the grass. I mean, they never even played on grass before. I remember Nick taking Mike and Bob Ryan as 17-year-olds and saying, "Guys, we're serving and volleying. We're chipping and charging. We're coming in. You can't hit more than two ground strokes. You got to get to the net." And then taking them on through to the England club, and then um, you know, and, just, and then just working with them for that entire year, and uh, and trying to do the best what we could do to kind of promote American junior tennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's 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 unbelievable you know, that, that you're able to get that far that quickly you know credit to you and and uh, your organizational skills your teaching skills obviously were impeccable then then you started working with lynn raleigh right after working with nick and and rodney and and uh, jose you went over to the women's side right 
You know, that's right. And that was, that was an honor within itself. Um, at the end of my first year, the decision was made to move me over to the women's program. And Lynn had given me the unique opportunity to work alongside Jay DeLuey, who at that time was heading the women's uh, Turing Pro program. Lynn was able to develop the program that we were trying to bring our top American players into Key Biscayne. Now, at that point in time, you know, there was no overnight facility that these players could stay at. We would put them up in hotels mm-hmm. and bring them in for training weeks. It is nothing like that what they had what they have right now and Lynn certainly did a great job organizing that and I don't think people give her enough credit for her vision of what she really wanted to do here but um, you know we were bringing some of the top American players in there and kind of Jay had the role at that point that he was really taking our top American gals maybe that were ranked 20 on through to like 50 or 60 and devoting a lot of time with them with the USDA Touring Pro program and then I was in charge of those gals maybe from 70 on through to 200 and those girls were mostly gals that were top juniors that perhaps were not going to go to college the freshman year that wanted to get that experience on the ITF or the Challengers or Futures Tour. And I was the coach assigned to them to work with them on their periodization, work with getting them trying to peak for their events and trying to get their rankings established so that they could get into some of the bigger events. And also in my pool of players that I inherited were our top college girls. You know, we were a big fan of – of, of, and still are a big fan of, you know, top Americans playing college tennis. And, you know, those girls get done with their four years of college, whether they're at Florida or Stanford or UCLA, and then they've got to make that transition. And it's a big transition from pro tennis to college tennis, just with how you take care of yourself, your demeanor, your day-to-day schedule. And, you know, I was in charge of those girls, our top college girls, our NCAA champions, and mm-hmm. tried to work with them and working with their games. And, you know, a lot of them still worked with their college coaches. Andy Brandy at the time was the coach of Florida, and he was always producing NCAA champions that I was fortunate to inherit in my program. So that was a, a working relationship with, you know, Andy and myself and the players that he was involved with. Yeah, that's 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 an unbelievable uh, amount of uh, stuff you've done. You now, as far as like college tennis, what do you think about the state of college tennis today? I mean, you, here you, here you are over in the world of pickleball, but you were working firsthand with uh, you know collegian tennis players, you know, from college to to uh, pros, and then or maybe you know kids that are trying to get into college. What's what do you think? That just real quickly, the state of college tennis is and and. Uh, Maybe I know all the seasons have been canceled this year. Yeah. It was always harder for a guy to develop, more so than a gal. I remember Lynn, we would sit in board meetings, and I remember Lynn would say, you know, if you're a top 18-year-old girl and you just came off of 18 nationals, you know, when you won 18 nationals out in California, you got a wild card into Flushing Meadow. And, you know, some of these gals would turn pro, and even if they lost first round, would walk away with a paycheck of twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 and wow. have an agent sign up. Yep, not, not a bad day. That, that's, your, that's your first year of traveling expenses right there to get yourself out there, to put your team together. Um, so that was – it was always easier for a gal to go through. Certainly, the boys developed a lot more going through college. A great example of that is Tom Martin. You know, Tom went to Northwestern, had a yep. terrific career through NCAAs and a lot of those college players. Mike and Bob went to college for a year. Mike Russell went to college for a year. Justin was at UCLA for a year. So that was a a more physically demanding schedule for them that they could build up their bodies, get their games more so developed that they can then come out of the tour at 21, 22 and, you know, try to create some weapons for themselves and get out there and, uh, and compete. So it was always easier for the gals than it was for the guys. So do you think there's a correlation between, you know, college tennis maybe and college pickleball at some point down the road? I'm thinking, you know, five, ten years, maybe 
once your tour gets going? Oh, I think I think it's going to be much quicker than that. I mean, pickleball right now is already in the local school systems. Um, I, I think there's going to be collegiate pickleball coming up very much sooner than five or ten years. I I certainly would think so. I know one of one of the goals that I've got right now working with the USAPA is uh, the USAPA is the governing body of pickleball for. Uh, USAPA is a governing body of pickleball. They certainly are promoting time, money, and energy into their uh, player development program for pickleballs. And they've got a terrific guy um, out in North Carolina that's also promoting that as well. So I, I think it's going to be a lot sooner. And I know a lot of the events on the APP tour, we're trying to put juniors, junior events together to showcase them. Right. No, no exactly. That's what I was thinking. There's probably – your pickleball has been it's really in its infancy and you're right there you're you're right there at ground zero i'm i'm really fascinated by watching this i've been playing pickleball and, and we saw each other for the first time after about 30 years at the texas open in september i hadn't really uh seen you in a long time and then all of a sudden there you were you know with a, in a tent i was like ken herman i'm like whoa what are you doing here how'd you get here how'd i get here i, I, I know? know my my journey into pickleball yeah. was a story within itself but yeah, we'll um, get to that here in a minute too. We should, yeah. Yeah, because but I just thought I, I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole because you, you've been doing college tennis and you were so heavily involved in tennis. Will there be something maybe like, like college pickleball at some point? And that's and you're saying yes. Is, is that, I really think there yeah. will be. I think I think I think there really will be an NCAA pickleball NCAA tournament for pickleball. I think that I definitely foresee that in our future. Pickleball is the number one fastest growing sport in America. It's right. easy to learn. You can, you can adapt your strategies quickly, and if you've got some tennis skills or any other racket skills, you really can adjust and get in there. It is amazing what our top players, especially our top American players, are doing with the sport. Um, they are phenomenal athletes, um, and if, if we can continue to get some good live streaming and also maybe some cable broadcasting of some of these events coming up, I think it's just going to get more eyeballs on the screen and get more juniors influenced to do it. There's a young lady out of uh, Delray Beach now, Anna Lee Waters, whose parents are doing a terrific job with her. You know, she's probably a top five player right now at 13 years old, um, a very well-poised young lady, and represents the sport terrifically. Yeah, you know, they're interesting mom and daughter combo. They've uh, uh, The Waters uh, ladies are uh, yeah, moms. Yeah, you know, she looks like almost like she could be her sister. You know, I mean, I'm like, who's, you know? And then there's there's, there's grandma looks like it looks like mom. There's, there's there, what? There's Anna Lee, Lee, and then Anna. I think there's three of them, right? Isn't it? Wait, there right? are there are three of them, and they're doing a great job. Yes. And I know they've been on lockdown with all the COVID going sure. on. Lee herself is on my advisory committee for the APP tour. I put together about 13, 14 top influential pros or influencers across the United States, and just wanted to have a sounding board of people I could visit with and talk to and hear what the players are saying what the pros are playing, what the pros are saying, and just kind of had that sounding triangular relationship between uh, myself and the pros, and she's certainly given some great input. Yeah, no, she's very nice. I fortunately had the, the pleasure of meeting them a couple of years ago at the Texas Open. We live-streamed through Tex-Mex Productions, had them on, and they were really, really nice people. They were a lot of fun to chat with and just, just exceptionally nice people, as all the pickleball people are. You know, I, I found them to be a really uh, interesting group, all very nice, and We'll talk about it here, here in just a second, but just to finish up tennis on the tennis side, so so you, you leave the USTA, head back to Chicago. I guess you found somebody of interest that you might want to start a family with, and you moved back to Chicago. Is that correct? <laughs> well, that yes, that all that all came about in 2019. I was there, started off, I believe, in '95, and then went through my fifth year through '99, 
And at that point in time, my wife and I were expecting our first child. Um, so the decision was, holy cow, I'm 35, 37 weeks on the road. Again, I was, I was the guy that was taking our top American girls out there with the Turing Pro program and trying to, you know, take them to Italy, take them to Germany, take them to Greece and get that experience and show them what this whole thing is about and trying to build up their points. And at that point in time, it was, it was going to be a little hard, especially with, uh, with my daughter on the way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of came to a, a, a blessing of both worlds. In the year 2000, the USDA put a program together called Project 2000. And what they were attempting to do was to create 12 or 13 regional coaches that were going to be placed across the United States as a way that you could kind of get more direct involvement with the player, let's say, who lives in Toledo or the player that lives in Dallas, Texas, and working and in, in planting these coaches across the Midwest. So I was hoping that with um, the five years that I had worked with the USDA that I would have been considered perhaps for the Midwest and would have allowed my wife and myself to move our daughter back there because I'd like to raise the children in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that went to another terrific All-American number one player in the world, Kelly Jones. Yeah. Kelly's just uh, got an incredible resume, and he did a terrific job for the years that he was working. And then I think he went back to work with the with the USTA right now down in California. So that was fine. And I, what I really decided to do when that happened in 2000 is I, I really had three options. I could have I could have gone into the into the private club route. I had always wanted to be a club owner. Uh, the second route was I certainly was exposed to a lot of players and players' agents that there was certainly some interest in me going on the road with a player uh, and doing individual coaching. And then the third thing was I really looked hard at looking at college coaching. There were some top uh, assistant pro college jobs that had opened with some top five schools, and I thought maybe if I had gone that route and spent maybe one or two years at a top five school, um, I had considered that route. But to make a long story short, it came up to the point that I was uh, moved my family back to Chicago, and after being here for a short period of time, was able to buy into a club, uh, the largest indoor club here up in the North Shore, and uh, was owner of that club for about eleven years. Yeah, that's 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 a good run for for eleven years, and you, you put out a bunch of kids that played college tennis. Also, you had a staff of thirteen. That's a lot of responsibility. Right. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it is a lot of responsibility. And I'd be an owner, too, on top of that. You're right. So, you know, I again, I just had to find quality people to surround with myself. And I, I, I had met so many unbelievable coaches across the United States that I was able to bring some people into Chicago from Florida, from California, a couple of pros from Texas I was able to hire to come on in. Good. And we just formed a great team. And uh, for the 11 years that we ran our big academy, uh, we certainly were one of the strongest ones in the Midwest, and uh, and everyone had a voice within it, so that was good. We we did produce some good quality players, that's for sure. I'm sure you ran into Mark Bay and his group too, didn't you? Out of Chicago. <laughs> yes, yes, Mark and Mark and I go back way back, and uh, Mark and I've got a great relationship right now. We had a couple years where we were kind of rivals and maybe had different opinions over things, but I've got a great relationship with Mark. You know, it's funny. I I've, I've run 16 marathons in my life. And one year I was running the Chicago Marathon, and I'm at mile 23, and I'm running, and I've got that last mile and a half, last two miles, three miles left to go. And there's somebody out on the side road downtown in the city of Chicago, and it was Mark Bay. (laughs) And I look up, and it's Mark Bay, and he goes, hey, go, Ken, go, Ken. Come on, Ken. Mark, thank you. And it was like that little burst of energy he gave me to to finish. I don't remember if I PR'd that year or not, but that was so weird to see Mark out there. But Mark's doing it. 
Mark's doing a great job up here in Chicago yeah. and continuing to make a big impression on a lot of top juniors. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the that you guys were uh, friends, then rivals, and now friends, and and great relationship. I want to move in a little bit to the relationship between tennis and pickleball. Um, you know, we've seen you go from one to the other, and you'll never probably uh, quit tennis completely. But I want to hear a little bit about your impression, um, tennis and pickleball, um, and, of course, also the two different – or is it two or three different tours in yeah. pickleball? Yeah, there's a couple so, right now. There's yeah, maybe you can kind of combine those and talk to, talk to us uh, a little bit about that. Um, I was doing some research three, uh, two years ago uh -huh. about building a new club in the North Shore area down in the Evanston area. And in doing so, what my involvement with pickleball came into is I had lunch one day with a gentleman who's on staff at Wilson. Wilson's got their headquarters in here China. in Chicago. Yeah. And in going over the floor plans and the vision of the, of the business, of the of the new club that was being opened, he looked at me and said, you've got no pickleball courts in your facility. And I said, well, why would I put pickleball courts in here? And he said, you have no idea what's coming your way. And just through getting myself educated and then myself going out and starting to play the game, um, I just fell in love with it like so many other hundreds of Americans have. And uh, through that, I then, of course, started teaching, and I wanted to get myself certified. So I went and got myself certified. And, and before you know it, the phone's ringing that people want to start taking lessons as far as pickleball goes. So it was an easy transition to make off of that. Um, what then happened with my pickleball journey was we I, I was instrumental with forming a not-for-profit organization up in the Chicagoland area called Chicago Metro Pickleball with two other individuals where we were trying to just find a way that we could bring all pickleball communities together up here in the Chicago and North Shore area to just try to grow the sport. Um, and in doing so, we knew that we needed to have a big tournament to kind of be that cherry on top of the Sunday. And the vision came up with offering uh, to try to put together the Chicago Pickleball Open, which is what we did last year. Mm -hmm. We had a, a $25,000 purse. We had a little over 400 people for our first year involved in the tournament. And uh, through that, I then came up with the vision, well, okay, why don't we see if we can't you know, be inspired by what Billie Jean King did back in the 70s and and break away with, a, you know, and try to see if you can't form a tour. And I spent a lot of time downstairs in my basement all of last year trying to put the pieces of that puzzle together. And and lo and behold, we launched the APP tour last year in June or a couple of years ago. We lost it. We launched it last year in June and unfortunately have not been able to hit a ball yet with an actual tournament because of all the COVID going on. But we're hopeful that we can get that up and started in a, in, a, in, a, in a few short weeks out in Bend, Oregon with an exhibition. Yeah, so it's been a, a weird 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah for sure. I'd, I'd like to hit the reset button on 2020. We're about to, buddy. Yeah, yeah let's be confident Ooh. about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's move into the um, – uh, you, you described a little bit about why uh, pickleball has gotten big. Can, can we talk a little bit about the uh, – uh, the relationship between the actual players, I see uh, a threat perception. Sometimes I see synergy, which is what you're bringing to the two sports. Uh, but also when I see the pickleball players, and I've played at a couple clubs nearby, uh, one right here at, uh, at Craig's Club also, and um, I see joy and a very convivial nature among the pickleballers. You mentioned it's kind of uh, it's not too hard to pick up. My impression is the guys who are really good, and we'll get to this, is maybe you can compare and contrast also the difference between rec pickleball and what we see on the tour. 
So what are your impressions there? Well, rec pickleball, you know, when you start off playing, you either you, you have a rating. Pickleball starts off with you know anywhere from a 1.0 all the way up to a 5.0. Uh-huh. Now they're starting to impose some 5.5 levels, and then you head off into the pros or the senior pros. Um, rec play is a great way to get out there and play with different people, different varieties, see different types of forms of play, uh-huh. whether you have people out there that are banging the ball, whether you've got people out there that are dinking the ball. And uh, there is a there's a big a big difference between somebody who's a 5.0 player versus a player who is a a pro player. Um, there's a fine line there, and a pretty significant difference off of probably three areas that I think that I look for when I see if somebody says, "Oh, I'm a pro" or "I'm a 5.0." Uh-huh. I think one of those areas are their their foot speed and their ability to take the fewest steps possible in order to get to that ball to make the most effective shot as possible. That's a big telling sound if you are a pro player versus a, you know, a four five or a five zero player. Um, the second thing that I think is just those God forgiven hands. I mean, these pros have got unbelievable eye hand coordination, racket head speed up at the net, and it's just mind blowing how much faster the ball comes at you. You've always got to be prepared with that paddle up, um, and that that is a big factor in looking at just the talent out there. And I think the third biggest thing is foot speed and footwork. Just as far as your conditioning on the court and getting to the balls, mm-hmm. it's hard to get to these pickleballs. That court may be smaller, but the ball travels a lot faster, and you've got to be in just phenomenal shape to go out there and play a, a best two out of three game up to 11. I was going to uh, ask a question a little further down, but I, I think since you brought up fitness methods, are, are there different training methods, do you think, for tennis than pickleball? Is there? Do they implore different different types of fitness method or very you know, similar I, you think that, that's a great question I, I there's a lot of footwork drills i know that uh some of the top pros on the tour are also giving lessons and i see that they're always doing footwork exercises working with the working with the bands trying to keep their core strong mm-hmm. um the technique is a little is a little bit different in pickleball you don't have as much length on your ball um, a little bit more fluid, but you still putting spin on the ball. I mean, we've got some players in pickleball that are hitting tremendous topspin and wicked slices. You know, you can really knife that ball in pickleball, especially driving the ball and coming in. That ball doesn't get more than one or two inches off the ground. It's hard to come up with a pass or, or as you try to do, come up with a dink shot off of some of these heavy spins that we can see in the pickleball world out there. Yeah, so, so there is maybe some different type of footwork. It seems like that uh, uh, less step, it, it's more of a swaying kind of motion as opposed to, uh, I wouldn't say, um, you know, tennis. Obviously, you're going to run and you got to run, you know, quite a, quite a bit, even in doubles if you're. But but in, in pickleball, it seems like yeah, there is some different types of footwork that, that yeah. are important. That's why I was wondering if uh, you know, because you've had a lot of USTA training as well. That's uh, huge huge training on uh, with upper level pro, pro professional tennis players. And I'm trying to think if pickleball players would implore that same type of uh, um, training methodology or would it coincide would it not coincide maybe drop no, something? There's, there's a lot of similar traits there definitely yeah. um, making sure like let's say for example somebody hits you a serve of pickleball you've got to have a compact swing to chip that ball or block that ball and try to get into the net so less is always best in pickleball as it also is in tennis one of the interesting things I know that you can always tell with who's been properly skilled with their footwork in pickleball is how do they handle that short angle ball when all four people are up at the kitchen line and your opponent is taking you out wide. Um, you know, you, you certainly do not want to put a crossover step 
when trying to handle one of those balls that takes you out wide. You want to open stance that ball and then be able to take, you know, a shift and get yourself back in position as quickly as you can. Yeah. That's probably the swing you were yeah. describing, right. Craig. Yeah. yeah. You know, I learned yeah. there's a guy in, in, in town that is a really good player, and he showed me, why are you doing so many you know, steps? Because it was interesting. There's a back step. You know, you use, like, if you need to go to your left, you use your right leg. It's kind of an anchor, and then you take, take a step back with your left foot, and then you move back in. And I was like, huh? And yeah. I was like, you would, in tennis, you would never do yeah, that. In tennis, we want more power yeah, because right. the racket weighs a lot, mm. the ball weighs a mm. lot, and we're trying to hit a, a further distance. I think it would almost be to, to your advantage to do a lot of different types of footwork, but just those hand-eye skills, uh -huh. I mean, that would be unbelievable. Because like you said, it, it, I played a few times, and I was like, man, there, there's some people who could got some phenomenal hands. And yeah. you, you can't, you wouldn't think that, you know, two, two or three inches, four inches below the net, they could flick that ball big difference oh my gosh it didn't yeah. hit you in the head you know you're like and, wow and that the thing is that you know players now in pickleball these top pros are all sliding on the court i mean i i, yeah. I don't slide anymore mm. i don't even know if i ever slid mm -hmm. i didn't mm -hmm. i can Our tell you that out there sliding like you see Djokovic sliding out there at the at fleshy meadow awesome. we, don't, we don't even slide on clay ken i might stretch something out i might be in traction for for six months you know that's that's not not we can't do that anymore. I don't I don't know how those guys do that. It's just, it's that's just impressive. ridiculous. Yeah. I, do they have Vaseline on their shoes or something or <laughs> Vitalis? You know, it's got to be something. Vitalis, you know? yeah. pomade, pomade. Yeah, one of the. You, you do have some. There are some similar patterns. You know, trying to develop your winning patterns in tennis. You've got winning patterns in pickleball as well. Making sure you're playing the percentages. When do you change the direction of the ball? When do you go back in the pattern? You know, you've got you've got you know sound percentages in tennis that some of those percentages also apply in pickleball. Pickleball is certainly one on who makes the least amount of unforced errors. Yeah. So that player that's constantly changing the direction of the ball, especially when the ball's not in their strike zone, you know, that can be real risky in pickleball. You gotta be real sure that are you playing the right shot and you don't have as much time to think about it. <laughs> it's a couple of split seconds and you've got to make that decision there. You know, what's your what's your reaction? What's your first thought? What's your first step to that ball? Do you, do you think USTA will ever embrace pickleball? Will the USTA and USAPA ever well, uh, be, be, I, I, be at a campfire and sing Kumbaya and have s'mores and that kind of stuff? I, I, I think it's getting much better. I, I don't have the inside news on the U, I don't have the inside news as far as what's going down, you know, with, with the whole team down at USTA right now. But sure. I will tell you that um, publications coming out now, whether it's USPTA or the PTR, you know, they're all including pickleball articles. Sure. You look at Tennis Industry Magazine, you know, so far three issues this year have all had highlighted stories. They did a story on the APP Tour. Yep. They also highlighted just the growth of pickleball. Um, having been a former club owner, you know, your most challenging time at an indoor tennis club is how can you sell that indoor court time from 12 o'clock until 4 o'clock until, you know, the juniors come in and then your adults come in at nighttime. And that was always the, the most challenging part of any indoor club. Um, I wish pickleball would have been as popular. Um, that would have been a nice way to have offered that to some of my senior members at the time that perhaps couldn't run on the court as well. And we still wanted to have the camaraderie of their friends. So I, I, I think this could be a way that some of the, the indoor clubs could take a look at pickleball and bring them on in as well. Right. And yeah. we know there are a lot of pickleball um, uh, magazines, uh, generally e-magazines and social media sites. Um, the way Tennis Channel started and Golf Channel started, do you see a future in the Pickleball Channel if that's uh, about to become a thing? 
I I think there will be. I it would be awesome if there could be segments on the tennis channel. I on see. I, that that would be awesome if that could happen. And well, Ken, um, you're a big thinker, and I, I, you know, the other there's another Ken that started the tennis channel. That's right. I, I'm, I'm, cha- I'm challenging you right now, right here on July 12, 2020. Let's start a, a pickleball channel right now. We've got the tennis channel on behind <laughs> yep, us. Yep. You know, you need something else to do. You know, <laughs> you, need, you need one more thing to do in the basement. And, and AJ and I are, are going to stand here, and then we're going to call you out and go, "Hey, yeah. we're we're, in, we're on board." We can call him out. We can also call matches. Yeah, we're, right. we're, we do some streaming too, right. so that'd be kind of fun for us. No, yeah. let's, get, let's get on cable. I mean, let's get let's on do it. Let's start let's it up. It. I mean, you need you you like to do projects, Ken? I know you. Yeah, I, like, I do like I, I do like to do projects and I like to see them to completion, no doubt about that. But I also know that I'm not the smartest guy in the world and that I've got to get great people to help me get there. Well, yeah. you just gave us some really good uh, coaching and uh, Craig has given yeah. us some really good ideas. Like you said, uh, Ken's a big thinker. Craig, you are too. Uh, let's move a little bit into um, a, a, the next set of questions. Uh, tell us about the Pro Circuit event. Um, the, the process of running these pro circuit events that you're doing. Yeah, the APP, how that come to formation and, and what you're doing right now. Yeah. That, that's a good time to, to delve into that segment. Well, you know, I was really inspired by, you know, by having run the Chicago Open. But up until the Chicago Open, while trying to put that event on with, with the team here in Chicago, I, I had just realized that there was really no tour. There was no way to track somebody's progress and i know back in back in my years of player development sitting back at the boardroom you know that was always a big thing the u.s open series is a series of tournaments after wimbledon through fleshy metal and it's a series of seven tournaments where the big objective of that series was to keep american players at home playing on american soil gotcha uh, whether it was Washington, whether it was the women out in California, or the Cana- or the you know Montreal, the Can- the Canadian Open, you know, going over to Paris and going over to Europe and trying to get the pros established, that was always hard. So I knew that in the inspiration of trying to put together a tour, I really kind of wanted it to be in a region or a couple of regions where that player could get in the car, play an event, not have to spend too much money with airfare or hotel rooms. And I really looked at, first off, putting a tour together in the Midwest and southern parts of the United States. Um, and that's kind of how I wanted to start doing it off on kind of, I guess, as you would say, first grade. Then I was also inspired by two other people. I was inspired, of course, by the stories that Billie Jean had shared about, you know, what was her motivation for starting the tour. And that was all about, you know, equal prize money for the women, equal, you know, having their own voice. You know, Billie Jean telling Jack Kramer, you know, the women can sell tickets just as well as the men can sell tickets. Uh-huh. And then having the courage to take Virginia Wade, Yvonne Gulagai, and Rosie Casals and starting off her six or seven, you know, city tour back in the early 70s. Um, and now look what that's morphed into. So I, I did a lot of research and remembered, you know, the stories that I've heard from her when I've heard her speak before. And then uh, the last influence was, you know, the folks that run the U.S. Open right now. Right. Uh, unbelievable ladies that are up here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, Chris and Terry that have just been done an amazing job with the U.S. Open, and I thought to myself, well, what the heck? If, if they could do it and look what they've created, why couldn't something else like this could also happen? So, you know, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know them and hearing their stories of what they've done and yeah. just kind of put all three of those together, and, you know, here we are. <laughs> here you've we are. spoken, yeah, Ken, you've spoken eloquently about the past, the history, and even the future of pickleball. Give us an idea of your future within pickleball, specific to you. 
Well, I, I, you know, yesterday I had to put out a hard video. I had to put out a hard video about we, we had an exhibition. As, the, as tennis has come to reopenings, I believe last week they were up in Atlanta, Georgia, doing a reopening with some of our top American male players. Right. Yeah. We thought we could take the same vision with the APP tour and, and create two openings there. And the goal would be to create an, an A-player exhibition out in Hilton Head, uh, down at Palmetto Dunes Resort, uh, for all the East Coast players, those players in Florida, the Carolinas, that southern part of the region, and then also get one out in the West Coast for the California, Oregon, you know, Utah players out there. So we came up with two back-to-back exhibitions, but as things were just not going well right now with COVID in South Carolina, um, the decision was made on Friday to cancel that exhibition down there for the safety of the players, safety of the team, safety of the volunteers that we would need. And as some of the other, as many of the other tournaments this year have come to fruition, that's that's kind of what we've done. So we had a, I had to send out a hard video yesterday saying that we're canceling right now the Hilton Head exhibition, but we're optimistic that we're going to be able to hold the exhibition to kind of rewelcome pro pickleball back August 1st in Bend, Oregon. Well done. I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, in Bend. Yeah, it's probably great weather out there in late uh, late summer or early August, and uh, we'll, we'll be watching that for sure. And, and as far as my role, as far as, you know, I, I just hope if I have any voice at all within the pickleball world with the tour, um, I hope that I get the, I hope I can get the reputation of being fair. I hope I can get the reputation of, of being a man of my word, being credible, and, you know, just trying to surround myself with, with just quality people that we're all as a team working together trying to just improve the sport. Right. Kind of the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah. I, that's what I think. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's clearly what I hope and what I think. Good. But I know one of the goals that uh, the USAPA has set forth for me is to try to keep growing the sport in new regions where pickleball isn't quite there yet. For example, you've got tons of tournaments out, let's say, in Phoenix, tons of tournaments out in Southern Cal, um, big tournaments, of course, out in Florida. But I wanted to challenge it and say, okay, can we possibly bring a tournament, let's say, to Nashville? Can we possibly bring a tournament somewhere on the East Coast? Can we bring a tournament, you know, in Atlanta or other areas of the, of the U.S. that pickleball is growing and find a way to just, you know, increase membership and increase interest within the sport? So that was one of the goals that I had for myself. For example, a, a new event coming up this year in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. We've got an unbelievable uh, facility out in Middletown, Ohio, with 18 beautiful courts, and the team out there is is so dedicated that um, we're, we're so much looking forward to being out there in early October to try to see if we can't bring pro tennis up to that whole Ohio area. Yeah, yeah. What do you see as the biggest threat to pickleball other than the name? It's kind of like Schlotsky's funny, <laughs> funny name, you know, serious sandwich, you know. It's funny, funny name, serious game, actually. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that, that old Schlotsky's commercial. But seriously, what is the biggest threat to pickleball at this point? You think? Well, the, the COVID crisis, without a doubt. Yeah. That's the threat. Right. Okay, so once COVID gets, now, COVID well, gets going, blown out of the water, what's our biggest threat then for pickleball, do you think? And I'm, I'm serious about it. I mean, is there is it uh, people understanding? Is it so new that all these things are going on? Uh, you know, what, what do you see? You know, I've heard other pros answer that question before, and, and they feel they, some of them have said overexposure of the sport. Um too much too quickly i don't know if i i don't know if i'm a firm believer in that i I, i'm an optimist i want to see that the sport's going to grow that we can grow the sport Mm -hmm. not only in local clubs but also through park districts through grassroots programs um continuing to bring 
quality tournaments and in leagues and that enjoyable part of the game, whether you're a 25 year old or you're a 60, 65 year old, you know, as we all get older in our years, you're sometimes not as good. You're sometimes not as good at things as you were earlier in your life. Um, and the fact that, you know, at 50 years old, you can start playing pickleball and be kind of good at it. That was kind of a nice, it was, it was a nice motivation to go out there and try something and not be too old that you can't get that great at it anymore. I know as again, as having run 16 marathons, the older you get, even if you're still putting in 80, 85 miles a week, your times just don't get faster. <laughs> you know, you, you just get older and you get slower out there. And, and that could be a little demoralizing at times. So it was it was fun to, to get good at something where you can actually see yourself improve. Do, do, do you think it also, too, is, is maybe kids coming up and playing? I mean, it, it is an older sport right? that uh, typically the average age has got to be over 50 or yeah. somewhere in that standpoint. I mean, there is, but there's a huge opportunity for youth in pickleball. And I know that, that I'm sure there are people out there trying to get youth involved, but it just seems like the events I've been around, it's mostly a gray-haired community, a bunch of old farts that uh, like me that uh, need some, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ben Gay or maybe some, some uh, <laughs> biofreeze, bio yeah. bio right? And there's a lot of you know, like, compression I, socks I, being worn, I, and you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that there are older people in the sport, but the game really has gotten a lot younger. Um, I, I can close my eye, I can close my eyes right now and think of a solid, you know, 75, 85, over 100 male pros that are playing right now that they're really trying to make this be their full time sport. Wow. All the pros are in terrific shape. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all great quality individuals, whether they're from the West Coast, the South area, or up in the East Coast area. And for the ladies, you know, I, I'm all about women empowering women. We did a, an APP tour show where we highlighted the top 35 lady pros and uh, had a wonderful panel out there. Uh, you know, there's a solid probably 50 to 75 ladies that are out there, you know, groundbreaking and, and showing other women to being motivators for them about how the sport's uh, coming around for them just as much. And I was a big advocate of making sure the women were paid the same amount of money as the men were on the Excellent. tour. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm very impressed with that. I'm also as uh, almost as impressed with the your idea of schools programs. And do you remember a few weeks ago, about a month ago, Craig, we had Joanne Russell who won sure. uh, Wimbledon doubles and she won a, uh, a tournament in pickleball yes, yeah. alongside a, a highly skilled 12-year-old. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, the she little, was for real. little dude was like under five feet tall, and they were chest bumping. This is pre-COVID. But they, they just had the best time. And I thought, man, it's not just our demographic. It's, yeah. it's some cool young kids, too, athletic and not just in their 20s, but in their teens. Amazing. Joanne is a phenomenal lady. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, had some great some great clinics she was some guest pros she was a guest pro a couple times when we, she was brought into kiva's game the kids loved her they yep. gravitated towards her and uh, you know she's one tough gal no doubt about that she's amazing but, yeah well, here's a wimbledon champion playing pickleball and she, she said and she well. was thrilled and she's good yeah no, no. she plays it well yeah well she said she, she that was one of the biggest highlights of her life yeah i remember her saying that <laughs> now that you mentioned that i was like <laughs> yeah. what, pickleball and right with the she young, did it with a partner that was you know very young and she goes you know you don't get those kind of experiences unfortunately in tennis yeah. but that's the great thing about pickleball how cool for her but also how cool for the 12 year old to win something yeah. alongside of uh, a lady who won oh, wimbledon well, champion yeah, yeah. no no uh, that, that doesn't happen tremendous so, how, how'd pickleball get his how'd pickleball get his name i want to know the yeah give us the you know Come we, we don't want to hear the internet version right i know it was up in seattle somewhere but give us the real deal the real deal I mean, I, 
the real that's deal. The real deal that I say. That's that's the story that I was told. That you know that you know, the gentleman was out there playing with his kids. His kids were in the yard. Uh-huh. The dog's name was Pickle. Pickle. And and he got a, a you know played on a, on a kind of a badminton type court and sawed off some paddles and had a wiffle ball and the sport just came from there. But that's that's the dog's name was Pickles and he, he formed a pickleball. I love it. I <laughs> he love ran it. after the balls and liked like the. Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it wasn't. He thought they were tennis balls, probably. Yeah. He couldn't chomp on. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Hey, speaking yeah. of laughs, uh, CB, let's go to the third set. I yeah. want to hear about the pop culture and the fun um, reflex volleys or rapid fire, as sure. uh, as we call them. Uh, Ken, no need to go long or deep on some of these. Let's do kind of quick answer as we wind down. Here we are in the final set. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll circle back to a couple of things about oh, pickleball in, in the final. Good. Final segment of this as well, because I've got a couple of thoughts uh, for you as well. So, uh, first band you saw in concert, Kenny Herman. Where'd you? Where were you? Herman and the Hermits. I uh, know Fleetwood Mac, diehard Fleetwood Mac. Fan. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, wow. Okay, where was this? In Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Really? At the drum? Were you at the drum? Yes, yes. Fleetwood Mac fan, and uh, no give me a little Stevie Nicks and some Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham, and I'm a happy guy. Wow, I bet you that was a great concert. What year was that? Do you recall? Eighty something, huh? <laughs> it was definitely in the eighties. Eighty five, eighty six. That's the fun stuff you did back in New York. I remember it. It was the Rumors tour. I'm guessing, yeah. right? Well, I'm not that old. Okay. No. <laughs> I am. I remember that. I wasn't in the 70s, although I didn't okay. have that album, but uh, probably more along the lines of their uh, Mirage with their Tango in the Night album. Gotcha. Tango in the Night, yeah. So, so if you could hear a band, what band would you want to hear and where? Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Again. <laughs> At Red Rocks or someplace like Can't that? Can't get enough. Red Rocks, uh, yeah. And then when they came to Chicago, they sold out Chicago, uh, and United, uh, United Center was sold out and had a great time down there. Um, if there were three other concerts I would go to, I would. Lo- I, I love classic rock, so uh-huh. I mean, I would, any classic rock, I'd be all over that. Um, certainly would, would never pass up Bon Jovi, certainly would never pass up Bruce Springsteen. Uh, before Tom Petty passed, would never pass up a Tom Petty concert. Those would be all big highlights for me. And then I could go a completely opposite way. I mean, if my wife said, hey, I want to go see Dolly Parton, I think I'd, I'd have okay going to see Dolly Parton or Garth Brooks. I think I'd be fine with that as well. That's a, that's what I was getting ready to ask. You know, well, what type of music genre do you like? I like to say genre. Yeah, right. he puts he puts the D in there. Jean. Yeah. <laughs> Craig is genre. genre neutral. He looks like a dude, but he's genre neutral. Right. So do, do you like rock? You know, jazz, class, classical. Well, I, I, I like I like a little bit of country. I can go certainly more classic rock. Uh-huh. I certainly, if the '80s are on, I'll flip on the '80s for a little while. Go um, Bob Marley, so I, Bob Marley and the Whalers. Marley and the Whalers, and I can go a completely other route. I I don't mind sometimes just playing classical music in my yeah. car when my brain's on overload, and just listening to some classical music every now and then. I have no issues with that at all. Yeah, no, that's uh, who, so. Your favorite band of all time? I'm gonna say Fleetwood Mac. Is that them? I, I would say they're top three, no doubt about that. Who are the other two? Just out of curiosity. Well, I, like I said, I would never pass up a Tom Petty concert. Uh-huh. I would love to see Petty Springsteen would be up there. Uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> those, are, those, those are good ones. Uh, hey, yep. hey, good, uh, good stuff. So, so th- now this will be in-depth personality. This is Dr. Bell and Dr. Chabry asking yes. this question: If you're in a band. Uh, which band member would you be? Would you be the lead singer, guitarist, like lead guitarist, drummer, keyboards, or you kind of hang back and play the bass? 
Um, I would probably be backup vocals. I don't see myself taking backup, lead No, vocals. no, you're a front man, I think. I yeah, think. tall guy, too. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you had, you had good hair. Yeah, the, yeah the, the tall thing. guy, long hair. Oh, yeah, that's that, good. Uh, thank you for that. Yes, I did go through that. <laughs> yes, I, did. I remember but you from I San would Antonio. Love lead guitar. I could also see myself banging the piano and playing some classic rock or uh, some funk rock on the piano. I do that. I'm not much of a drummer. Uh, lead guitar, backup vocals are, are hanging on the, on the Ken, piano. Kenny, you, I gather you've got a five string. Tell us about it. A what? Don't you have a five string guitar? No, I don't. Oh, you don't. No. Okay. No. Okay. Do, I, do you I, have I any musical it. background? Did you play any instruments growing yeah. up as a kid? I, I did play piano as a kid, but I never broke off into the guitar. But when yeah. I'm in my bathroom pretending I'm a rock star, right. that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, what's, your, what's your favorite movie or a TV show? What do you like? You know, that's a great question. Down in my basement, I have seven or eight movie posters um, that have somehow impacted my life that I've gotten them in framed uh -huh. and I and I put them down there. Um, one of them, classic Rudy. Oh, Rudy. So okay. Rudy Sports, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Another, another movie that kind of made an impact on my life was A River Runs Through It. Yes. Yeah. The great Glenn another, Close. Another big movie that kind of made an impact on my life was uh, <laughs> oh my God, Backdraft. That, uh -huh, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can tell the relationship with your brother, family, hardcore movies. You know, those are kind of ones that kind of hit home. But we've got about seven or eight down there. I've also got Basic Instinct down there, but I don't think I can tell you on the podcast why that movie kind of <laughs> <laughs> was a major influence for me. But it had something to do with Sharon Stone. That's for sure. Sure. We'll, we'll leave that for another podcast. Yeah, that, that's another podcast segment that will. That's yeah. Yeah, that's a different one. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, so if you're at a you're hosting this party this dinner dinner for four and I, we know or more we know AJ and I would be invited to this who who are four people that you would like to have at least dinner with uh, it, it could be anybody in history now, like I said you know, we know AJ and I are invited so we're we, in we're in and then who, who does Kenny Herman invite to the, to the dinner party and what are you serving and this could be anybody in history right? Any, yeah, inter era inter yeah. uh, national inter dimensional yeah. whatever you like a anybody you can go literary uh, and films and too I, on a personal note there's a couple of people that i that have that have passed in my life that i certainly would welcome them back to have that dinner uh grandparents uh, a previous tennis coach of mine that was a big influence on my life so those people would certainly be at the top of the list as far as having them come back and have that opportunity i am a political junkie um, if I had not been involved with tennis or now the pickleball tour, I would have loved to have worked on campaigns. I would have loved to have worked, let's say, for a, a person. I would love to invite Robbie Mook, who ran the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh -huh. and love to pick his brain about, you know, why did you not go to North? Why did you not go to Michigan? Why did you not go to Wisconsin? And and I would I would be enthralled with a, a Steve Schmidt who was in charge of John McCain's campaign. You yeah. know, the whole of hiring Sarah Palin to come on board. What was your thinking on that, and what messaging were you doing? And I would be most fascinating to I would be most fascinated to work with campaign managers of 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 campaigns that lost to understand what the challenges were, why they did not succeed, and what would they do again in order to make that succeed. That would be most fascinating for me. He's a problem solver. Good See, stuff. He's a deep I can thinker. tell. Right. Yeah, we're going to send Bill Buckner your way from the 86 <laughs> World Series. He he needs five minutes with you, man. There you go. Well, 
let's go into some Texas politics. We had a great governor, oh, Governor yeah. Ann Richards, who yes. went up there and said, poor George Bush at the Democratic Convention, you know, the campaign with her and, and the young son, George Bush. Right. That yes. was heated debate, a heated campaign for years down in Texas. That would have been a fascinating campaign to have been involved with that and, and to have uh, heard both sides of what their narrative was and what they were trying to get across to voters. Yeah, that's when she was with Clayton. What was that guy's name? Clayton and the la- Clady and the Lady. Remember that, that yeah. campaign? Yep. That yep. Was, that and, was... and I remember the picture of her on a Ryan a Harley in the leather outfit on the cover of Texas Magazine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Texas. But that, yep. What are you serving at the dinner? What, what are we having for dinner? We just want to know, so we want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you cooking? Yeah. Are you ordering I'm in? I'm Italian, so it would certainly be something along the Italian lines about that. I would say probably some stuffed mustacholi would be good. Uh-huh. I would say probably some uh, uh, some chicken that would be, have some kind of Italian seasoning on it. It would have to be a nice big, a big loaf of bread and probably a big... A big uh, hearty salad, that's for sure. Sounds awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll be we'll, right there, man. Right there, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can be there in about uh, Th- 13 three and a half hours. Well, we'll, we'll hit the Oh, plane. we'll fly. Okay, we'll fly yeah, you want to take the private fast. jet, CB. East Coast, West Coast. Which which coast do you like? North Coast. East North Coast. North, okay. uh, North Shore. I, am, yeah. I really am. I am more East Coast. I just think, um, Interesting. you know, the wonderful people that I met in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the juniors that I worked with down there, so, so home-friendly, so open. Um, you know, you live in the South, you become Southern. Yeah. Uh, so I would say probably more Carolinas, more East Coast. Florida, um, Florida was wild. I mean, South Beach, Miami, yeah. Boca, and that was wild. And I don't know if that would have been the ideal place to have raised a family. I was married in Dallas, so I've got some strong roots and some family in Dallas. So yeah. certainly with high priority there. And the time that I spent out in California, um, whether it was for player development or just for enjoyment, I've always enjoyed California, but I certainly see myself more along the East Coast. I, I know you said East Coast, but in two and a half weeks you're headed to Bend, Oregon. So I'm going to tell I'm going to tell all those people you said West Coast, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> this, this podcast doesn't go west of uh, the Rockies, you know. So it only goes to like Denver. It doesn't go to Bend or there. But uh, uh, mountains or beach. Holy cow. I would love, I, 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 one of my goals was always to live on the water. And then when I was able to get down in Boca, I did get, finally get that place on the water over there. And after being on the water, it, it was actually a real pain in the ass. It was a pain in the ass. <laughs> there were so many tropical depressions that came right. up. So hurricanes. You're constantly loading your stuff up, loading your patio furniture up, having to evacuate the house. Um, I, I'm going to say mountains. I'm going to yeah. say mountains. Sunrise, sunset. Are you a morning person or, or a night owl? No, I, I'm the guy that's up until 3 o'clock in, at night. Wow. In the basement. <laughs> and I wake up always at the crack of dawn, but I am much more of a night owl. That's when I kind of, that's when my brain kind of gets going a little bit more. Favorite, favorite season? Are you a summer, spring, winter, fall? What, what do you like? I'm a fall. I'm definitely a fall. I would say September, October are my two favorite months leading up into uh, Thanksgiving. You did say you like the seasons. That's what you right. missed when you came down to San Antonio. We had one season. That was summer down there. I remember it was 85 degrees one Christmas when I was there in 88. Yeah, when we were yeah. there in 88, it was Amazing. like 85. We flipped on the AC, and I was like, all right, man. <laughs> Score. Jingle bells. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yeah, you guys I, did there's San no white San... Christmas. There was no white Christmas there. Yeah, in San Antonio, you put Christmas lights on the palm trees down that, there. That yeah. Basically, yeah. 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 It was it was fun. <laughs> I, I'm a summer person. But favorite holiday. What's your favorite holiday, Kenny? Um, I would say there's two. I would say my favorite holiday probably is Thanksgiving, and my other favorite holiday of, of 
I, I'm not. I, I've got a little bit of Irish. I would say St. Patrick's Day is a close number two. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we haven't had that. Great choice. Yeah. yeah, we hear Thanksgiving a lot. I know that was yeah. my answer when uh-huh. we did a just you and me kind of episode. But uh, love it, St. Patty's. What do you like to do in your spare moment? We know you don't, there there isn't much of a spare moment. What yeah. do you, you know, besides running? Is there anything else that you like to do? You know, running really clears my mind a lot. I, you know, like everyone else, I've gone through some challenging times, and I've spent a lot of miles on the road with some great friends trying to figure out, you know, what the heck to do with things. Sometimes, as far as some other additional things, um, I've got a great dog here. I love <laughs> I love spending a lot of time with my dog. My kids are are both home right now. Uh, I've got a 23-year-old and a 21-year-old, so that's some great quality time to spend with them. However, there have been times I have wished that they could go back out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. They need to be back in the house. And kind of, you know, whatever whatever time I can spend with my wife is always an enjoyable time. Hey, did those kids who are now in their early 20s, did they play tennis, pickleball, or uh, like you running, or what did they do? You know, my daughter... My daughter got very committed to ballet at a, at a young age, wow. so we went did the entire, you know, whole program with ballet. She's involved with the Cincinnati Ballet right now, and she uh, went through Joffrey's program and, and did all that up here in Chicago. So she's really on a good course right now with her ballet career. She was uh, out in a program out in Charleston and then went back to Charlotte, went back to Cincinnati. So that really is her world. And my son got involved with tennis. Um, he was a top junior in the tens and twelves. He went to nationals, did that thing, did did zonals and everything with that. And then kind of when he got into fourteen, sixteens, it just wasn't his biggest um, cup of tea anymore. He right. started to other interests and having been through so many kids with their parents, I, I just knew it was just not you what felt he wanted it. kind of backed off. So he ended up being a solid high school player. Uh, it's playing some at a local school, uh, collegiate wise up here. But then of course I get the call saying, Dad Boy, when I was 15 or 16, I wish you had kept me going in the game. <laughs> my tennis friends are going to Michigan or Illinois or right. Penn State playing down there. And I said, well, at the time, my friend, that was not what you wanted. So mm-hmm. that was that was not what the, what the case was going to be. So, so question, I, I'm thinking about this. Did you do a, the dad-daughter ballet dance together and put the tights on? <laughs> no, no, but I can tell you I have seen the Nutcracker probably 15 <laughs> That's a good parent. From my daughter starting off as being a flower to then being a tree to then yeah. being, you know, part of the snow ensemble and then, you know, getting some leader roles with all that. So I, I've done it, and I'm actually a bad dad. I know the Nutcracker so well, <laughs> I know when her part is. So, I like, if she isn't into the second act, I will miss the first act. You know. show for the second act when they start doing the Arabian Nights and everything, when, when Claire goes off into her dream or whatever. <laughs> so I've gotten pretty bad about that. That is so cute. What a sweet dad. That's good. <laughs> but Cubs, I'm there at least. Yeah, yeah, efficient. Cubs or White Sox? Oh, my gosh. Cubs all the way. Oh, yeah. really? North, North Shore, oh, right? Man. Yeah. And then, am I, am I gonna add, and then you got to ask me Bears or Green Bay. Is that correct? Uh, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. It's Bears all the way. Sure. Duh, Bears. Can, can we hear you say it like Ron Schwarzky? Yeah, the Bears. The Bears. 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 That had to be the, the greatest Bears. skit on Saturday Night Live. That was pretty but great. I, I'm yep. not a real Saturday Night Live fan anymore, but they had some of the greatest skits. You know, those kind of things. You know, Wayne's World. When, when Bears. Farley dressed oh. up as uh, as Ron's wife, yeah, and 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 she was like, <laughs> "You're my Ditka, my dick," and she had the sausages in the big bowl. Yeah, yeah. She had the accent. It was just the greatest. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I like it. Yeah. I like those kind of things, yeah, right there where they were really funny. All right, now we're rounding the stretch. All right, we're coming, coming home. Uh, uh, 
Here, here's how I'm going to bring it back to some tennis and pickleball. Are, are you a fan of more of indoor pickleball tennis or outdoor tennis pickleball? Um, gosh, uh, that's holy cow. That's a great thing. You know, they're both they're both different games. Right. Outside, outside in pickleball, you've got that wind, you've got the elements, you've got the sun, you, you know, you've got the heat being off the court, which can impact the ball somehow. It's, sure. a, it's a much more challenging game outside. It's a much more slower game outside. Inside, right. you can kind of slug and bang away a little bit. Um, so uh, that's a good question. What do I say? I well, probably outside. I mean, here in Chicago, we've only got maybe four months to play outside. So right. we, need to, we need to get as much advantage of that as we can. Yeah, milk it. You, you don't do any, uh, like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, off the chicken wire you don't play pad? What is it, pa uh, paddle in the wintertime yeah. up, up in there? It's There's, a, a platform. 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 They, don't yeah. platform. Yeah. they don't play platform pickleball? <laughs> No, well, they are they are playing. Uh, you know, a lot of the country clubs up here in the North Shore are putting in pickleball courts because the sport has just morphed oh, up here. Yeah. But as these courts are getting put in at private country clubs and private tennis and swim clubs, these these racket sports directors are now playing pickleball on platform uh -huh. courts. Platform courts, yeah. So, so and, and 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 platform tennis is huge up here. I oh mean, yeah. No, we, we we had a terrific lady who's an unbelievable pickleball player. Her name is Hillary Merrill. You know, she beat Bobby Riggs in a platform match, you know, back when he challenged her to play her in, in platform. And uh, she's gone on to be in the Hall of Fame for platform. And Boy. if she's not in the Hall of Fame for pickleball, I'm sure she'll be in there one day, too, as well. Yeah, no no, no question about that. Uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't think platform. I was going, yeah, platform is, I was the, going yeah. is right there on my. Yeah, there are all these. Tennis. There's spec tennis, uh, yeah. of course, all these spinoffs, right? Yeah, Padel, paddle, right, yeah. Well, Ken, what's your most embarrassing moment in tennis? You have an embarrassing yeah, story, like in college or maybe in juniors, where I've got a couple, but uh, we won't say that's for the, that's for the basic instinct version <laughs> yeah. of, of Athenet. So that's the Patreon uh, version of it. it. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have an embarrassing story. I, I have probably one of my funniest stories came when, yeah. uh, you know, back again during the player development years. One of the things that Lynn had me do is she had me head up the women's collegiate team, and that was a team that took place. Really, during June, July, and we would we would get the players, hopefully trying to get the qualities for the U.S. Open, and that always started off with picking the girls' collegiate national team, whether it was the NCAA women's or doubles champion, and I would travel with them for a period of seven weeks. And one year, we were at Florida State at the NCAA's, and, and uh, Stella Sampras, Pete's sister, yep. had just taken over the women's coaching job at UCLA, and of course... May in, in, in Tallahassee can't be more than 100 degrees in high humidity. And, and uh, we were, I was out you know, looking at the players, looking at their games, looking to see if we were going to put them on the team or what have you. And all of a sudden I hear somebody sneeze and she's down below the bleachers overseeing you know the stadium courts that everyone mm -hmm. was playing i'm like well who the hell's down there in the bleachers and i <laughs> i go around to the end and i go down there and you can kind of sneak through the back tunnel and stella looks at me and she waves me tells me to come on over there and i'm like stella what are you doing down here your players are out there playing and she's staying on top of a cooler <laughs> and she 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 gets up and she, she goes i'm going to tell you what's in this cooler but you can't tell anybody what i'm doing down here and she whips out you know, she doesn't whip out beer, don't get me wrong. She whips out, a tw you know, 24 boxes of popsicles. And she's down there in that heat eating popsicles down there. And, and she offers me a cherry popsicle. And I'm down there and Stella and I are watching popsicles as her girl's out there winning the NCAA singles title. Oh, that's so hilarious. That was a pretty funny story there that I can share with No, no, that's, that's, that's a classic. Yeah, especially this time of year. We're having a popsicle or two oh. every now and then right now. Yes, I, I had a drumstick yesterday, actually, at lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, because it was 105 in the shade. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. it was it was hot uh, yesterday. What what's your favorite tournament? And you can say pickleball or even tennis too. I know you travel to a lot of tournaments. That's right. right. I'm interested in that uh, knowing. Oh, do both. Do, do favorite pickleball tournament and then favorite tennis tournament. You know, that's a great question. I, I was fortunate to actually be on a lot of tournament committees uh, for some pro tournaments. Uh -huh. at, at Charlotte, we hosted the U.S. Men Clay Court Championships sure. and was involved with that. You know, IMG certainly owned the tournament, and they were putting the tournament on. But, you know, I was involved with the tournament team with that. The years down at Polo Club, pro events came down there. Yeah. Uh, as far as events that I've been to, if we were to look at the four Grand Slams, Without a doubt, I would say the French Open is is probably my favorite and and the nicest one as far as the amenities go. Um, the U.S. Open has certainly come a long way, especially when they put Ash and I was I was on the team, I was on the coaching staff back when the, you know the Arthur Ashe Stadium was put in, and the year before they put it, in, it was just this huge monster. We would have our players get out there early before matches and have them run the stairs. I remember Deloui and I were doing that having them run stairs to get themselves ready to go. Wow. Um, but I would say that would be one of my favorite tournaments. And then I also used to love the old tournament down at Hilton at Sea Pines Plantation, the Family sure. Circle Cup. Yeah. For years, that was down at Sea Pines Plantation. And uh, and that was a, uh, a wonderful event down there. We oftentimes would, would get some players in the qualifying there and and, uh, and just have a nice week down there. As far as pickleball goes, you know, you've got you've got three unbelievable tournaments that are up there. Uh, certainly the U.S. Open does a terrific job. Uh, Indian Wells Nationals does an unbelievable job. And one of the tournaments that I'm most proud of is kind of the cherry, one of the cherries on our sun, and our on our tour is the Tournament of Champions. The tournament of Champions is probably regarded as the third major tournament, and that's in Bingham City, Utah, and that tournament's slated to go this year, probably in the next month. And so far, if things stay calm and, and it doesn't spike too much, that really is going to be the only major this year that players are going to be able to play in. Right. It's such an unbelievable facility, and the team up there does a great job of playing that event on it. We're so happy to be associated and involved with uh, in yeah. the role that we are. Well, you need to go get a shake at Peach City over there in Brigham City because I'll be up there in about uh, – Five days. I'll be at my, right. my daughter's Craig's getting daughter married. is about to be married in Logan. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So I've been to the there Peak City numerous times. I, I went to school in Ogden, and, and my wife's from from Utah, and all of her family. And, and she had a grandmother and aunt that lived in, in Brigham City. So I've been up there a zillion times. Excellent. And, and I know the park where you all you know play in it. But Peak City has the best shakes in the state of Utah. So you need to go get a Peak City shake. Got to do it when you're in Brigham City. I tell you, it, you'll you'll want the large one because it will go fast. It's that good. Huh? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's really great. And then if, if I had to give an honorable mention, I would certainly give an honorable mention to the Chicago Pickleball Open. Sure. And, uh, and, and the team that's here in Chicago that just busts their butts off to make that be a terrific event. We're hoping to have that event this year over Labor Day weekend. It was rescheduled from July, and we've got some talented players coming in for that, and that will be an exciting event if we're able to move forward with that. So speaking of players, who, who are we – who are we looking at? Who are, who are the players to watch on your APP uh, pickleball tour? Who are, who are some well, names? We're fortunate that we, you know, we've attracted a lot. Of, you know, practically all the top players are playing on the tour. Um, everyone's got different schedules. We we had slated for 14 events this year. Uh -huh. Some of them have been canceled. Some of them have been postponed. But again, with the notion of us taking events across the entire United States, it, it, it was a goal that somebody can play an APP event and have that experience. Um, you know, you've got your top male players from from Kyle Yates to Ben Johns to 
to Colin Johns' brother and, and Deco Barr and a, a t- number one Canadian player, Steve Deacon. And then, of course, on your women's tour, you've got everyone from Sarah Ansbury, uh, Mich- you know, Michelle Esquivel, Corinne Carr, um, you know, Irina Tereshenko. The waters are just phenomenal. What a great story that is. A yeah, mother-daughter family. Being able to play together. And again, I can't go back to just enough prefaces of just the role that I think Anna Lee is going to play being, you know, the poster child, the spokesperson of inspiring so many, you know, young girls to get involved with the sport. And that's uh, something that I think she's doing awesome right now. That's a yeah, great you know, story. Adrian's number one player on the M streets in Dallas. Can, can, right. you, can, you, can you build a story around him? In my neighborhood. Yeah, he's where all the hip kids hang out. All the hipsters down there in, on the M streets. Down, I'm down actually probably not even top five in my neighborhood. No, in pickleball, you're number one. Oh, good, good. I, well, like I, know, I know the tennis players. You're, you're definitely not in the top five in that. Yeah, no. But, but in pickleball, you yeah. might be number one. You know? Down in the M streets. That's where all the cool hipsters hang out. It is. In, it's in the Dallas area. Will, will there be a grand slam in pickleball? Kind of like in tennis do you think that there'll cool be question will there be something kind of forming maybe you're on the the uh you know in the know about something like that will there be a wimbledon french open you know u.s open australian open well, kind of, for, kind of for that to happen you know you'd have to really travel overseas and i know there's a lot of people that are that are making great strides with pickleball overseas we've got a big announcement with a big international event that we're bringing on board the tour in 2021 that we're going to announce later on this month. You know, we've partnered with Carl Hale in the Canadian series. Canada has put together a terrific series as well. And, you know, Carl is the tournament director for the Canadian Open, you know, one of the biggest, you know, most prestigious tournaments in in the tennis world. Mm. Um, So we've partnered with him for one of his events. Unfortunately, it's not going to go this year because of the COVID. So we're looking forward to, to working with him on that. You know, you, like I said a couple minutes ago, you've really got your three big majors right now. The U.S. Open, Indian Wells, which is called Nationals, and then you've got TOC, and those are really your big three right now. Um, Would there be a fourth? Have, Would there be a fourth, you know, maybe? Would there be a fourth in there somewhere, do you think? I, I, I think there could be a fourth. There could be a fourth that emerges along the lines here. You know, it just all depends on what is that player experience that they get and what are some things that um, – that tournament's going to be off, be able to offer. You know, there's so many different boxes you've got to check in order to be considered a, a major tournament from venue to volunteers to do you have a stadium court to the prize money. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of tournaments out there that are probably top 10, top 15 tournaments that check a lot of boxes. But I think right now those three that I mentioned are probably the ones that check the most boxes, and that's why they've got the status that they have. All right, last two questions. If you wouldn't be have been involved in sports, what would you be doing right now? I think again, I would have gone into politics. politics. Yeah, I, think, I think I would yeah. like to do something where I would be able to uh, devote time to the community, try to make a difference, try to give something back. Um, and I think I would have enjoyed doing that. I think, yeah, I think I would have enjoyed doing that. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. Good one, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Okay, last question. Here, here it is. This, this is the big one. This is where we get the drums out and kind of go <laughs> snare drums. All right. So if you could wave, this is a two-part question since you're in the pickleball world as well. If you could make wave the magic wand in tennis and in pickleball, so two separate questions. Are there some changes or a change that you would like to see in in both games? Is there something tennis first and then we'll go pickleball last? Because I know that's what you're doing right now. So in the great game of tennis, is there anything that you could see that that tennis might be able to do? Your commissioner, you got the magic wand. You got the the pixie dust, and you can sprinkle it any way you want to. What do you do? 
Well, I would probably go along the lines again, again, using Billie Jean as an inspiration. You know, tennis is such an individual sport. It's hard to be out there. There's so many different pressures. I know we didn't really get in any kind of conversation about, you know, the impacts that you can make as a coach during this interview, but the pressures that these players have at young ages and, and, and at different stages of their career, you know, Billie Jean was always a big proponent of having more team sports and having tennis be a team sport. I know there's a lot of talk right now on the tour about trying to combine the men's and women's tour, right. and pros have weighed in about that. So I certainly would, would take a look at that. Uh, that that could be a way to continue to grow the sport and and see if you could populate the sport as far as that goes. Um, as far as what's going on right now in the world of pickleball, I mean, so many things are just new and changing. You know, in a, in a non-COVID world. Uh-huh. Um, the excitement of having the first tour coming on board, I think, is adds a lot of excitement. Um, I think it's going to be interesting with the overall goal being is can pickleball be recognized as, a, as an Olympic sport? And and what are the steps that can be handled in order to make that happen? And that certainly is going to be having to grow the sport, not only in the, in the United States, but overseas and Asia. But really having the USAPA step up and be a, a role model of how these other programs can get there. Um, in, t- in the conversations that we're having right now with the big international tournament that we're bringing on board, they're just amazed at, at you know, they think that probably us and uh, the folks in America right now, we're probably about three or four years ahead of where they're at with their development and the growth of the sport. And that was one of our incentives with trying to bring a, an international event on the APP tour would be to w- a way to grow the sport over there and help the USAPA continue to be a, a role model with that. We wouldn't mind you breaking that news right now, you know, if you want to. You know. Yeah, you could do it on an internet exclusive. Sure, that's right. We'll give yeah. you dun da da Well, the, the big news is I'll break it out. The English Open is coming on board the tour next year for 2021. You heard it here first, right. English Open. In London? Is, would it be in London? Uh, it was actually in Nottingham this past uh-huh. year. We, okay. we, we've got – there's two dates that we're looking at right now, but they had close to almost 700 players right now in the event this year. Uh, pickleball in England is certainly growing. It is, it is the biggest tournament overseas, and we are thrilled. Uh, we've got a, a couple of different visions that we've laid across. The team over there is so committed to the sport, so passionate about it, and I've really enjoyed getting to meet with them and work with them and establish a relationship, and I just can't wait to get over there next year and do whatever I can do or the APP tour can do to help them grow the sport out there. I wonder, you know, we call it pickles here. Um do they call it gherkin ball over in Germany or, or Britain? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know about that. No jerk to gherkin. I don't gherkin. know about that, but uh, every time I get on my Skype calls with them, it's always like 6 o'clock in the morning because right. yeah. it's 1 or 2 o'clock in the, yeah. in the afternoon over there. But right. uh, we're really excited about welcoming them on board for 2021. And we haven't announced the official date yet. We've got one of two different weeks we're looking at and, and just trying to make sure the whole schedule for 2021 blends together. Yeah, good. You're going to spend some more time in the basement, I think, Kenny. Yep. About three I, in the morning. I, I, I think I am. I think <laughs> yeah. I am. But that's all good time. No, no, man. This has been – we've taken an hour and a half of your this time. This has been so oh, fun oh, for thank, us. Thank, thank you, you, Ken. Thank you. You, you know how uh, big of an honor it is that uh, – Yeah, it's been awesome. We're right here with – we're out on the founding floor with uh, – Ken Herman and the APP tour. I mean, you're you're a big thinker, Ken, and that's why I really appreciate you know your time because I know it's valuable and what you're doing and all the great things you've done in tennis and what you're doing for pickleball now. I mean, it's just fascinating. So, uh, pickleball channel, pickleball channel, Craig and AJ, pickleball yep. channel. That's your next project. <laughs> There you go, and I'm glad we got the interview. And I know we were hoping to yeah. do the interview when we launched the tour in Hilton. That's Hedden right. And yeah. and it 
just didn't seem like it was the right no. time. No, and it, we'll we'll get back to normal, and we will. it'll be a different different day for a while. But uh, no, uh, I think the the country, the world, will get back to a normal. It might be a new normal, but we'll be getting back to it at some point, uh, hopefully sooner than later. And we appreciate your time tonight, and and. Uh, Go, go go sit in the basement now and get to work. Yeah, you rock three, rock three or four more hours and get some sleep, pal. Thank you. All right, and wonderful, yeah. wonderful spending time with you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. All right, bye, guys. Have Good a great night. night. Take care. All right. Well, wasn't that a great night? That was a good interview. Yeah. Ken is a charming, cool guy. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah that was fun. I was like Kenny Herman from Northern Hills down yeah. in San Antonio. He was, he was such a nice guy. Well, so I guess we should uh, sign off now. Appreciate we that. Right? Should. We should. we got to talk a little about next week, too, yeah. man. That's going to be great. Yes, we have a, have a very interesting young lady named Shelby Talcott, yeah. who's uh, of uh, The Daily Caller, has been on Fox News. She's been right at Ground Zero. She's been a WTA tour player yeah. and played on the Hawkeyes um, Big Ten school up in Iowa. That, so played big, tennis. Big, yeah, big, school, yeah, big, big time, time. Yeah, big time tennis. And she's been on, on Fox News with Laura Ingram, where I actually saw her a couple of weeks ago, right in the middle of the protests in New York City and Washington, D.C. That was hectic and intense. Intense. And so she, she'll be on be next dramatic. week. dramatic. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be pretty it's great. It's going to be fun to talk to her because she has yeah. a background in tennis. I'm sure that she's got some hot sports opinions that she won't mind uh, you know, talking about. I, I Just to tease the people at home, I, I, I'm always interested in the betting and the match fixing and how that's number one, how it goes on and how it's regulated. She not only has opinions on it, but she's been on the inside of it and she's written a few articles about it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably touch that too, not just the, the uh, oh, yeah. riots. All the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. she's got a very interesting uh, past. Type in Shelby Talcott, yep. late, uh, mid to late 20s. So she's going to be a lot of fun yeah. to. T A L C O double T, Shelby Talcott. Right. So she'll be our next guest for next week. And we, we really. That's going to be episode 50. Right, exactly. One year. Yeah. Uh, we've had maybe two weeks off. Congrats to you, yeah, my man. Right. Yeah. This has been yeah. such a blast for us. And thank you to thank our you. listeners, the NetHeads, yes. uh, for joining us. And I know Craig always says it, but uh, we like you. Hopefully you like us. And share it a little bit. Hopefully yeah. we like you. We share it with your people because yeah. we like your people we, too. We like peeps too. You yeah, know? that's right. Yeah, peeps, peeps are fun. That's it. Right, All right. Well, so let's do the dismount. Yes, right? please. Thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 49 of Afternet Podcast with the great Ken Herman of the APP and USTA Tennis and just tennis in general. Man, in that general. Guy, yeah, that guy's done done a lot of stuff. Uh, join us next week. It's like we were talking about, we're going to be talking with Shelby Talcott of the Daily Caller. Mm-hmm. And uh, join us also on Wednesday. This coming Wednesday night, we'll be doing our tennis shorts, right? That's right. We always enjoy that. That's Wednesday nights. Yes. And so we do two legs of the short. Usually talk about maybe no more than an hour because Instagram cuts us off. We can, yeah, talk, right. we can talk longer than that. But, but we, we like going good. an hour. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a short enough. version of our show. No guests, really. Uh, sometimes we do do a guest and the guest can be you so right. join us that's on instagram nine eastern eight central six on the west coast seven in the hills yep and lastly like we were talking about be sure to uh, tell a friend or friends because we like your peeps and hopefully they'll like us and that's the news as it seems, seems to good us night. good night from dallas texas everybody see you later next time thanks everybody great night good night take care